This program is brought to you by the Genesis Communications Network, a world leader in talk radio since 1998. Visit GCNlive.com today. You can stick it to the man and big tech. Join our FTL social mastodon at social.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live. We return with more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find Liberty Conspiracy every Monday through Friday on Rumble, Rockfin, and on my Twitter feed. That is at Guard Goldsmith, G-A-R-D Goldsmith. And, of course, find us after the fact and send those links out to everyone you think might be interested in the principles of individual liberty. It's time for us to hit the mothership, my friends. It's time for the news flash. Hey, that reminds me, everybody. I better check to make sure. Do we have audio? Do we have audio? I certainly hope we do. Let's check it out, and you guys make sure you let me know if we've got the audio. All right, one and all. Just give me the heads up on that, because I want to make sure we've got it. Yes. Oh, and by the way, Carlos Rex, thanks for being there. He says, sorry, I have been out so long on chat. However, I am always here. Carlos, thanks so much. I know everybody's busy. And by the way, I've been turning the shows into audio podcasts, uh, easier to listen to. They don't buffer as much. And those are over at my Substack if you want to check those out. Uh, and uh, let me know on Rumble or Rockfin. Make sure that we've got our audio. And uh, well, I just want to make sure that we've got all that good stuff for you, my friends. Oh, and by the way, we can go back through any of the items that we uh, we showed last night. Uh, for example, uh, anybody who wants to hear some of the speeches that we gave, for example, uh, um, Claire Daly, member of the uh, uh, European Parliament there, uh, great speeches. We've got a lot of the new ones from day two of the Assange thing. So I've got everything loaded. If you want me to play any of these things, let's hit it. Uh, just make sure that we've got the audio. Audio is thumbs up. I dig it, which reminds me to promote Audi and Modern Retro Radio. Audio, Audi, I dig it. Thank you so much, Nancy, for the thumbs up. Well, one and all, let's get right to our first story. It's a quick one. It's probably not going to be very consequential, but I want to give this to you. And for it, we need a very cool theme. It's live. It's the kind of thing that you might have liked a lot towards the beginning of summertime when you were a kid. Remember this one, my friends? Many of us, when we heard this song for the first time, thought, oh, this is my anthem. I got to say, after getting thrown in a closet and having my hair pulled, this was my theme. Even throughout much of my childhood. That is, thrown in a closet by a teacher and hair pulled by a teacher. 
I bet that teacher's happy now, huh? <laughs> All right, everybody. This is probably not going to be very consequential, but I want to give it to you from a good guy. Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me, as the B-52s would say, Thomas Massey. Once more, fighting what is the good fight down there in Washington, D.C., even though he is part of the polis and I oppose the polis. He is trying to strip it down at least to the constitutional level. And he says he has introduced H.R. 899. He's introduced a bill to end the Department of Education. Now, I know this might not be a a huge deal to a lot of people because it's not going to go anywhere, but I want to salute Thomas Massey because those of you who've watched the show from the start or recently came in and saw me talk about education, you know that my father, along with Charlotte Iserbeet and a few others, went down to Washington, D.C. at the start of the Reagan administration because Reagan wanted to eliminate the then only a few years old Department of Education, which was started under Jimmy Carter. Patently unconstitutional, more centralization of pedagogy, more influence from the unions, the teachers' unions. And, of course, my father and Charlotte both left They said, we're not going to be able to change anything, and we're just drawing away people's tax money. Even though my dad had paid taxes for decades, he said, I can't ethically do this. So he left. He left. He had kids to support. He left the job. And Charlotte left the job as well. They were friends there. They didn't even have meetings in their offices because they thought their offices were bugged by Carter holdovers. They would have meetings in restaurants where there would be a lot of noise. And that is what brought um, that's what brought Rand Paul and I together when I interviewed Rand when he was helping his father run for uh, president a number of years ago. We walked down to the uh, to the parking lot together after we finished this radio show here in New Hampshire. And he said, hey, did your father know my father? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, your dad was Paulie, Paul, Paul Goldsmith. Right. I was like, yeah, that's right. How did you remember that? Because, oh, yeah, yeah, they were friends. So my dad was right there in the middle of it. And Thomas Massey is saying we must return the money and authority back to the states, school districts, teachers and parents before it's too late. Well, it is too late. It's been too late for a long time. But Thomas Massey, I appreciate it. And if you do want to know more about it, everybody introduced on the 9th of February, it's H.R. 899. If you want to make a phone call to the Congress people, I won't say your representative or anything fatuous like that, because it's just nonsense to say that. But uh, Thomas Massey hats off. Good stuff from Thomas Massey. And it is very interesting to see. I think it's another reflection of the way that normalcy bias can sneak in. You know, we've got this Department of Education thing. Uh, we know how corrupt they are. We know that the Department of Education work with the National School Boards Association to try to depict concerned parents as possible domestic terrorist threats in the very first year of the Biden administration. And uh, it's amazing that they are willing, so willing, to demonize people and ruin their names, to utilize people's tax money in these absolute frauds, these canard moves by the government to go after people, to to prop up and puff up their narratives over and over and over again and weave them into other narratives that will support future government power grabs um, and, and suppression of dissent. And that is what we're seeing with the Julian Assange thing. It is a theme for the show. It's a theme for the ages, really. But unfortunately, so many people get accustomed to this that I think it's extremely important to remind people that, you know, if you have any younger kids, let them know. Just like 
They might not realize that they sit in the back of the car because of a series of government mandates that ended up killing people because of the mandated airbags. Um, they didn't take it back. They didn't take back those mandates. They just applied new mandates to, well, now you have to put the kids in the back seat. People just grow up that way, and they don't even know anymore. So let's remind them, and thanks to Thomas Massey for reminding us. And, of course, if he can get a roll call vote, that will put some of those so-called conservative Republicans on record as to whether or not they support the Constitution, at least. And, yeah, this is, this is, a, this is an archaic, uh, prehistoric, vestigial uh, rights-defending human anarchist here who believes that the only one superior to human beings is God. And all the rest is supposed to be voluntary. No one can claim control over you. Or as Thomas Jefferson said, no man is born with a saddle on his back and no man is born with spurs to ride him. Well, that sort of arrogance, that sort of hubris mixed in together into the workings of the state, always sees the expansion of the state. That's one of the things collectivists always oppose, individual freedom, uh, whether it's because they think they're helping because they worry that people can't handle themselves, which is a QED, because if people are too stupid to handle their own lives, then how are they going to be smart enough to vote for another fallible human being to not only handle their lives, but other people's lives through force and coercion and no competition. But uh, it introduces a lot of crazy stuff. So let's go to our next theme in the flash, everybody. Like last night, oh, by the way, I put out the new version of last night's show. I went in this morning and re-edited yesterday's show so that all that stuff, all that audio that was missing in the first half hour of the show is in there now. The uh, new version of, of it is up at Rockfin, and it's up at Rumble. It's right next to the original live versions, so you can click on those if you want to see the complete versions or you want to share those with people. Um, they're, they're good. They're totally good, and I thank you so much. Last night, you were so helpful in uh, making sure that that audio was coming through. So thanks a lot. And, you know, I mean, you, you don't want to have to suffer through something where you don't get great themes like this one, our State of Confusion theme. I love these guys so much. They're so great. The Kinks, of course. And so that brings us to our first story. And here it is, everybody. Yes, Mayor Adams seems a little confused. Yes, indeed. Remember how he talked about how the state of New York, the city of New York, just can't handle any more migrants. And he claimed there was an emergency. We know the MO there, just like the governor of Massachusetts. We've, we've spoken all about that. They just want federal money. Well, uh, I mentioned that they were going to be handing out $1,000 debit cards to the migrants, right? No, it's not $1,000. The New York Post is reporting today that Mayor Adams' debit card boondoggle is a $10,000 debit card. Yeah, and get this. I'll enlarge this for you, just like the national debt. I want one of those Thomas Massey national debt counter things. 
Ah, <laughs> oh, it's the heartbeat of the nation. Ah, oh, it's been dead for a while. Uh, yeah, it went to a no-bid bank. So the bank's going to be making money off the taxpayers because, of course, they're going to be getting that contract from the government. And the folks who are the migrants are going to be getting a lot of money. $10,000 debit cards. Now, again, just a quick reminder, uh, nobody should be getting welfare off the backs of anybody else, but uh, this really is a great window of opportunity to open it up and look at all of the immoral welfare schemes that are out there, how they're supported by central banking, by government, uh, by politicians who want to play favors with people and think they're going to get more votes. And this is exactly what Eric Adams, this double standard two-faced guy, is like. Yes, and he is two-faced. I mean, what can you say? He says two totally contradictory things. How you can hold those in your head at the same time, I don't know. You know, it's interesting, and I want to thank Mike. Mike, thank you if you're watching. I don't know if you're home from work yet or whatever, but I want to thank Mike because um, he's a friend of mine, and I, I saw him today at work, and he mentioned something. I, I think I wrote it down somewhere. Um, he mentioned this. Uh, let me see. Yeah, yeah. He mentioned, uh, he said it's the thought to consequences disconnect. And I thought, yeah, you know, do you mind? I said, do you mind if I mention that to my audience? You know, the, the, the concept of, uh, of uh, cognitive dissonance, right? And he says, I think that there are just more and more people who get so involved. And I'm paraphrasing now, Mike, so I apologize. But I, I thought it was, uh, we had a great conversation. And, um, and he said, you know, it's, it's this thought to consequences disconnect. People have these thoughts, the consequences come in, but they, they're, more and more people are becoming increasingly disconnected from the consequences of their thoughts. And, of course, libertarian economists have been speaking about that for a long time because the political world incentivizes that sort of disconnect. It increases the benefits of that sort of disconnect because you're not really feeling the effects of your own purchases here. Many, many times, you're not even the one making the purchases. You're forcing someone else to purchase something for himself or herself. You're favoring someone. You're forcing someone who hasn't even been born yet to do these things, right? So this thought to consequences disconnect is, is very clearly a manifestation of the political world versus the market, versus what is typically known as capitalism of free markets. Because if you make a bad decision with your own money, then you're probably going to try to avoid it. And other people can see that mistake, right? Government has absolutely upside down perverse incentives where if they make a mistake, it means more money should be shoveled into it. It doesn't mean that it was a bad idea from the start. So the thought to consequences disconnect is amplified and encouraged most often through the government sphere. It's discouraged in the market. So that's another reason for the connection between, and we're going to discuss it tonight. That's one of the reasons why I made that, that uh, thematic connection for the show. As if, you know, it's a classroom, it's the economics. One of the reasons why I got so interested in, in uh, learning and teaching economics was because I understood at a certain point, probably, you know, around 16, I was reading some Milton Friedman stuff or maybe some Mises material. And I thought, oh, yeah, economics is just ethics. That's all it is. It's, it's, it, you get the best possible functioning for your neighbor if you leave him alone. And that reveals the preferences of all these other people. How 
fantastic is it that we can see that information given to us and we don't even have to ask for it. It's manifest in the market from our neighbors if we just act peacefully. How awesome is that, right? That's where you can see the connect. So it's the capitalism connection versus the political thought to consequences disconnection. Thank you, Mike, for doing that. I really appreciate it. I want to go over to this one because I think this is rather important. This is a Supreme Court story, and I'm just going to mention it briefly, but here's the headline. U.S. Supreme Court won't hear challenge to rent stabilization laws. Isn't that interesting? Now, first blush, my thought was, oh, man, these are contracts, and the contract clause of the United States Constitution prohibits legislatures from interfering in the fulfillment of private contracts. But it's actually more along lines of, what was presented in the arguments, and it's stunning to me that the Supreme Court, and again, you know, where are you going to get justice when the justice is in the halls of the polis? That automatically means that it's not just because you're forced to pay for it, whether you're satisfied with the outcome of it or not. That's one of the reasons why, as I mentioned, one of the reasons why I never brought the people who ripped me off out in uh, California for script writing to court, because I'm an anarchist, I didn't want to force my neighbor to pay for the court system that I would utilize to get back what was owed me for people ripping off my stories. That happened twice. That's like, you know, about $15,000 for those stories. Just story concepts for TV shows at that time were about six and a half to $7,000. So, yeah, uh, in this case, people might have expected that the U.S. Supreme Court might actually take up this case. But they're not. They're not going to hear a challenge to rent stabilization laws. Let me give you the quick details on this in the news flash here. Washington, Reuters, Dateline, Washington. The U.S. Supreme Court on Tuesday turned away a bid by landlords to challenge rent stabilization laws in New York City that cap rent hikes and make it harder to evict tenants. So... Yeah, you know, if if we felt that there was a, a problem with the CDC existing in the first place, and then an additional problem with the Trump administration and Congress handing the CDC the power to stop landlords from being able to evict people who were squatting in their properties and not paying for them, well, we can take that concept and apply it in a smaller regard on the state or city level to rent control laws, Right. Rent control laws have the practical outcome of uh, depressing the interest of, of people in investing in new rental properties because, of course, they know that they can't be sure down the line whether or not they're going to be able to charge what the market demands, whether they're going to get in what they're hoping to get uh, get out of it, what they're hoping to get out of it because they invest so much. We saw that uh, already Malay has seen a quick turnaround just in a couple months. They had a housing shortage when he took over as president, and all of a sudden now they're getting more construction. Why? Because he stopped rent control statutes. He ended those. The rent control is a disincentive. If it, it's just like a um, it's just like a, a a maximum for what you can charge for any product. If they put a maximum on say bottled water, then if you have, uh, you know, say these anti-gouging laws, right, during storms and things like that, well, that will see a dearth 
because you're going to see fewer people incentivized to move into the market to bring bottled water. It actually backfires, right? So when they put price controls on gasoline during the 70s, Nixon's idea backfired. You got even worse shortages for gasoline. People were standing in line. We see all those black and white pictures. Everybody had those those crazy collars standing there with the with the gasoline cans, right? Oil can. So here is the facet that I wanted to give to you, though. And this is, uh, again, this goes to some uh, some really cool libertarian scholarship. If you want to get into the reading and things like that, you can spend some great time, summer months, going through with a pen, going through some of Richard Epstein's work on takings. And this is a taking. The justices declined to hear appeals by property owners and industry groups to lower court rulings that found the price of eviction controls did not violate what is known as the takings clause of uh, found that price and eviction controls imposed by the government, that those controls did not violate what is known as the takings clause of the United States Constitution's Fifth Amendment. And that, of course, bars the government from taking property without compensating owners. So if you've got property, and they're not going to allow you to fully utilize it. Let's say you've got a kitchen, and they say, no, I'm sorry, you can't use the stove more than four hours a day. Well, I have a baking company. No, sorry, can't do that. Well, that's a taking of your opportunity. It's a taking. They are. It is an imposition, no different than a mafia thug saying, sorry, you got to close your shop down on Sundays or Saturdays or whatever. you got to devote this amount of uh, space on your shelves to our friends' products. Those are all takings. Every form of government regulation, whether it be a labeling mandate or it be a requirements that you can't put certain types of things into your food or anything like that, the number of hours you can work, the people you can hire, they're all takings of your opportunities, right? And that goes towards government spending. In a way, it's the unseen taking, going back to Frederick Bastier's great 19th century essay about the broken window fallacy. When a politician claims that a storm was actually going to be beneficial because it'll inspire so much business and commerce to rebuild, it'll employ so many people, well, they're not thinking about the person who's going to have to spend the money to rebuild his stuff. That's money that he would have spent in other areas. Those are all opportunity costs that he should not be shirking. He shouldn't have to deal with those things. Now, a natural disaster, we can understand. You try to hedge your liabilities. You get insurance for those things. You try to come up with... uh, with the you know iterative ways to handle something secondary backups that sort of thing or people on whom you can rely you you form civic organizations that help each other that's really what the history of the united states was up until about the latter half of the 19th century there's plenty more liberty conspiracy on free talk live coming up Do the letters IRS give you anxiety? I'm Dan Pilla. I've defended people from the IRS for more than 40 years. My book, How to Get Tax Amnesty, created the tax resolution industry and is responsible for helping hundreds of thousands of people. It can help you, too. If you're a non-filer or facing IRS enforcement right now, your case is unique. You need real help, not cookie-cutter advice. My clients get my personal attention. Buy my book at danpilla.com and get a free consultation directly with me. That's danpilla.com. Let's start solving your tax problem right now. 
What if you could cut your heating bills this winter with your existing wood-burning fireplace and not spend thousands doing it? You can with Great Wall of Fire Fireplace Grates. Our U.S. patented, made-in-America Wall of Fire Grates increase fireplace efficiency, eliminate fireplace smoke problems, and come with a 30-day money-back guarantee. See our grates in action and get free shipping from walloffire.com or call 800-274-7364. Fireplace heat without fireplace smoke. walloffire.com. USA News Update. The Harris County Medical Examiner's Office in Houston determining the cause of death for 11-year-old Audrey Cunningham. The ruling homicidal violence with blunt head trauma. The girl's body found Tuesday submerged in the Trinity River. 42-year-old Don McDougall held without bond in the Polk County Jail charged with capital murder. According to a recent study published in the American Journal of Public Health, over 40% of Americans have a connection to someone who has succumbed to a drug overdose. President Biden offered his sympathies to the family of Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny. The president met in San Francisco with Navalny's widow and daughter just days following his passing in a Russian detention center. Corey Myers, USA News. Get healthy, not high, with 100% pure CBD, powerful natural pain relief from Veterans Vitality. GCN listeners, have you ever thought about how CBD may help you? I'm sure you have heard about the many benefits of CBD. Well, here's your opportunity to try before you buy. Created by veterans and for everyone who deserves better choices, our CBD is derived from organic hemp, grown in the USA, and third-party tested. Veterans Vitality CBD saves you as much as 25 to 50% over our competition, and a portion of all sales is contributed to veterans nonprofits and events. Many of our customers have experienced improved quality of life, help with anxiety, PTSD, and overall well-being. Our products do not contain THC. They are safe, non-addictive, effective, and 100% legal. GCN listeners, get your free trial bottle of premium CBD by simply paying shipping and handling at GCNFreeCBD.com. That's GCNFreeCBD.com. Again, GCNFreeCBD.com. Offered by Veterans Vitality Premium CBD. I need to do my taxes. Are there any self-help options online? Doing taxes yourself? IRS.gov has many self-service tax tools, and they're all just a click away. Prepare and file your taxes online using FreeFile. Use our calculator to estimate your tax withholding. Order a tax transcript. Apply for an employer identification number. Check your refund status, too. IRS.gov, your 24-7 federal tax resource. When I was a kid, I wanted to be just like Cal Ripken. It's definitely humbling to know that now people are calling me a hero. Instead of finding the IED with my metal detector, the IED found me first, and that resulted in double above knee amputations. It's hard to describe the feeling of meeting somebody that you've always wanted to be like. There are people now that are looking up to you for their inspiration and to be their role model. Visit SaluteHeroes.org to learn more appreciate what we do help us advertise market and promote for just five dollars a month at amp.freetalklive.com free talk live 
Welcome back, conspirators. This is Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live, continuing our exploration into the Supreme Court denying a challenge by property owners who rent those properties to challenge government controls over how much they can charge for those properties. Ah, isn't freedom wonderful? Let's dig into this on the moral side, on the constitutional side, and the practical side, picking up where we left off. And then we'll get into collectivization regarding education. <laughs> but that's how, you know, the Lions Club, the 4-H Club, they all formed because civic organizations saw that people could help each other out. So when we deal with these lost opportunities ourselves, they actually can manifest in positive ways. When the government imposes these lost opportunities on us, they're just lost opportunities. And then they channel the benefits to the special interests. In this case, the politicians have their special interests in the renters because they want to look like they're helping the little guy. It's pure Marxism and it's cultural Marxism in a way there's no way that they can claim that there are classes in the United States, except perhaps for the for the political class connected to the government, because we never had a medieval, structured, feudalistic society with royals here. Classes are reserved for states that had royalty in them. But in the United States, so you can't, they try to define poor, they constantly redefine it, they're, they're expanding it to play favorites and things like that. They say that uh, uh, certain people are information poor now, they're media poor, they're connectivity poor, they're deprived of this, they're deprived of that. That Hillary Clinton claimed when she was the first lady, a uh, first lady, as Parliament would say, that there was a silent crisis for daycare, because, of course, they wanted to get more federal funding out there for daycare because they wanted to play favorites. They wanted to create constituencies. And they already thought they had a constituency emotionally, sentimentally, rhetorically, propagandistically, by saying we're trying to help parents who are struggling along. In the meantime, you wouldn't have to have both parents going to work if you would just decrease their losses through taxation, through regulation, all those opportunity costs that are incurred on them. So this is a perfect example that the Supreme Court is absolutely way off base here. They're saying that they declined to hear this because they're saying property owners and industry groups are not being harmed. They're not seeing takings as property owners when the government takes away their opportunity to actually charge what they want, takes away their freedom. That's all government is, is takings. It's incredible. It's absolutely amazing. And, of course, they're trying to play to the little guy, the renter. You know, we talked about the Department of Education a little bit earlier. And uh, let me show you the um, one of the perfect examples of the past few years of the manifestation of this craziness where they say they're going to try to help people. They try to pick and choose their favorites. They're going to be, you know, out there for the little guy, just like Karl Marx used to say, you know. From each according to his ability, to each according to his needs. And who depends? Who de- who decides that? Of course, the politicians who want more power. So they'll constantly try to get people who will be on their side. And they'll constantly try to hand out the candy. And one of those things is education. We talked about the Department of Education starting up under the 
Carter administration and my dad and Charlotte Isabeet's fight. And it is kind of cool to find out so many other people were clued into Charlotte's work. Now, I want to mention again, Charlotte got clued into the problems of education thanks to Sam Blumenfeld. And a lot of people don't don't know about Sam's work. Um, So uh, just want to remind you, if you get the opportunity, get Sam's book called Is Public Education Necessary? Uh, has a shocking cover. At that time, it was utterly shocking, uh, showing a photograph of a police officer basically carrying a teenage child into the back of a police cruiser while the mother is absolutely shocked and stunned because they were trying to homeschool their child. And so my dad became friends with Sam. He edited Sam's second book called NEA, National Education Association, Trojan Horse of American Education. And Sam was the first person to get those documents. Charlotte followed Sam in getting a lot of those documents from NEA union meetings, from the Rockefellers, from people like Horace Mann. And he got into it because he was curious to find find out why there were so many kids who were coming out illiterate in the late 60s. And there was this new term that was around. And the, he, what is this term dyslexia? What is that? You know, it's like that. It's like the first airplane movie where the guy's reading the newspaper and it says dyslexia for cure found. <laughs> Pretty good from the Zucker brothers. Pretty good. And they're conservative from what I hear. They're sort of like traditionalist conservatives. But uh, Zucker brothers, they, of course, create a police squad and uh, police squad in color. So um, it was very interesting because Sam started to investigate and he found that the pedagogy of the public schools was being lowered to the lowest common denominator. And they had introduced something intentionally to basically make kids illiterate, which was rather than going phonetically based on the Phoenician developed alphabet, the sound symbol system, every symbol stands for a sound. A actually uh, in its creation stood for uh, the sound ox. It wasn't O and it was the horns of, of a bull. That was the ah, the oxen right ox and uh, there's a book called a is for ox actually it's very interesting talks about the development of the alphabet the phoenicians developed it that's why they call it phonetics that's why the subparts of the words are called phonemes and you have to be able to sound them out left to right you do the letters first what does each letter represent then combinations of letters what do those combinations sound out and then you do the phonemes you do the prefixes and so on and so forth and then you find roots and you can apply new prefixes to the roots. You can go through boom, boom, boom in a very rhythmic way, left to right. And Sam even brought up the point. He says that's one of the reasons why the Western world developed so much more rapidly than uh, than Asia at, at a certain point. Because especially once the printing press came around, uh, people were able to create new words out of old words. And people could read those based on the phonetic properties of the words in china they have to create a new pictogram for every new word and people have to learn that new word you said so what they were doing under the look say method rather than phonetics they developed this in the 30s and they brought it around and this is what clued sam into the problem of dyslexia he said there's no physiological anything for dyslexia 
most of the people who are diagnosed with, with dyslexia have no mental brain disorder or anything like that. They're not seeing things backwards. They just weren't taught phonetics because at a certain point starting in the 30s, but then very much in the late 50s and 60s, they started to do what was called look-say reading. They would give somebody an entire word, a child an entire word, memorize that word, doctor. And I've, I've mentioned this on the program before. It's a perfect example. I actually use this with a, a woman at the bookstore with her grandchild. She came in and she said, do you have any books on sharks, uh, on oceans? Uh, my, my grandson loves sharks. And I said, oh, sure. So I brought her over to the level. I said, how old is this boy? She goes, he's uh, six and a half. Or no, he's seven. And I said, okay. So I brought her over to the level, level two readers and oh, six and a half. And, um, and I said, you know, level two, a little bit, you know, beyond the, the first grade level. And I said, here you go. She goes, oh, no, no, those are, those are much too difficult. He's got a problem, you see. And he's only reading at a three and a half year old level. So I said, hmm. So I did what Sam has done with people, or Sam did. He's passed away now. Uh, what Sam did with people, uh, he, would, he would actually teach even teenagers who had been diagnosed dyslexic. He would show them the phonetic way of reading, and in an afternoon, they'd be reading signs going home, and their parents would, their parents would be stunned. Thank you so much. And he would save these kids from being drugged, from being claimed that they were dyslexic or learning disabled. And um, so I said to, do, to this woman, do you mind if I try something? And she said, what's that? So I went back over to the desk, and I wrote the word doctor. And I said, can you tell me what that says? And so he's six and a half. He should have been reading at, you know, level two at least. And um, he says, uh, dinosaur. And I said, oh, ma'am, there's, there's, there's nothing wrong with this boy at all. And she said, well, how do you know that? And I was like, I said, because he's not being taught phonics. He's being taught sight word reading. He's being given a whole word, the word doctor. And Sam had clued me in. What the kids do is they look at the front and they look at the back just the way the mind works they see the d the c they see the r and then they guess a word they like and they'll keep guessing keep trying and this is how they do it this is how we do it and so i said i said did you see this and this and you guessed doctor uh you guessed dinosaur he said yeah i was like yeah there's nothing wrong with this boy ma'am he's just not been taught how to read phonetically let me show you so i put the doc on a piece of paper and I said, what does this letter say? D and he goes, D the, the letter D. He goes, duh. And I had him sound out, doc. I said, just go left, right. Doc, doc. Now say those together, doc. And I did a separate thing. He made no intellectual connection, no cognitive connection. He should have easily been able to read doctor. But at least if he was taught phonics anywhere along the line, he should have been able to understand, as I did the TOR, his mind should have been moving towards doc and tour. Because he sounded out the tour, doc, tour, and I put them together and I said, now, just go through this, buddy. What does it say? Do that what you did the first time. And now we'll do it right next to each other, right beside each other. Doc and tour, doc, tour. I was like, and it run your finger across it, doctor, doctor, doctor. And he jumped. He actually was like, doctor. I was like, that's right. And the woman, the older lady was like, what did you just do? I was like, I just taught him how to read. His life is going to change now. He won't be diagnosed dyslexic. He won't be diagnosed learning disabled. He won't be sitting in class, fidgeting, bored, throwing paper, doing whatever, getting the teacher angry at him, claiming that the child has a problem. The school has a problem. The government has a problem. 
So that's what clued Sam Blumenfeld in. They changed, just like all the bad government products, they changed the, the title of it because parents were becoming upset. They say, you're not teaching our kids how to read. What are you doing? So they changed it from the word look, say, or from the term look, say, to sight word reading. Some of you who are maybe in your 40s might have heard that term. And then they changed that after people complained. It was the same process. It wasn't even a process. It was just guessing. And then they changed that to a term called literature. <laughs> literature for three-year-olds. At two and a half, you can start this with a child. My niece, I taught her how to read sentences like the fat rat sat on a cat. The fat cat sat on a rat while her mom was away on a, on, a, on a trip. And her mom came home and she read the whole sentences out. She's like, wow, that's great. She was two and a half, right? And uh, if you are ever in a public school setting or even in private schools now, they've been making this mistake. If you ever walk into the classroom, say a first grade or a preschool or anything like that, and they've got a word list anywhere on a board or going around uh, the top of the classroom, you know, word list, um, you know they're doing it wrong. And if they if the teachers ever say, well, your child has a vocabulary of X number of words, he can read these words. No, because once you learn the process, you can decipher words. It unlocks your ability to be a self-motivated individual rather than part of the cog of the machine. You can read yourself. You can educate yourself. You can break away from what they're serving you, that puerile nonsense that they're serving you, and you can read. Now, it's great now. They've got a lot of video out there. Kids can find the videos and so on, but I think it's absolutely essential. And, you know, I'm talking about this in the newsflash, going on this chunk of this story, just in case if you have any kids or grandkids who are having problems, get them a phonics game. I mentioned this on the radio in New Hampshire, and I was so happy months later, I got a phone call on the show from one of the listeners who said, you know, Gardner, you had Sam Blumenfeld on your show. We were having problems with our child. We didn't realize. Now our child can read. Awesome. Now, who knows where that child's going to go politically, but that child was saved from the state. Excellent. And Sam knew. He found out that they were doing it intentionally. In fact, the Rockefeller family at the beginning of the 20th century actually had some of their kids educated in this way. And and Sam mentions it in one of his books. And it's uh, I think he wrote a book called Why Johnny Still Can't Read. And he said, yeah, those Rockefeller kids were diagnosed dyslexic. Oh, man, it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible. And, of course, it always goes down to the lowest common denominator. So let me give you this one from MRC TV, everybody. Oh, my goodness. Now, this one is from Brittany Hughes. I saw the internal emails on this. I said, oh, i got to share this with the audience. Here it is, everybody. Girls basketball team forced to forfeit after trans female injures players. Now it's not even reading. It's the very definition of male and female, right? We talked about that 90-year-old volunteer for the MS Society after working there for 60 years, after her, her husband had died with MS. You know, she did walks and raised money. She was dumped by them simply because she didn't understand what the pronoun question was on some thing that she had to fill out. Like, what is this pronoun stuff? It was, 
it, it wasn't even a question about you know the they them stuff. She's like, what what do you mean by pronouns? What do you what do you mean by what are your pronouns? She was just asking about that. It wasn't you know a slight on their belief that men can be women or women can be men or people can be they or anything like that. We are we are uh, what is it? Uh, we are uh, I can't even remember. Uh, anyway, uh, so here's the story. From Brittany Hughes, and she's always good with stuff like this. A transgender girl, so-called, known to anyone with common sense as a boy, caused physical injury to a female basketball player this week when he threw her to the ground during a high school basketball game. And unfortunately, the hurt player wasn't the, I think, only one she says, I think she means. In fact, the Collegiate Charter School of Lowell was forced to forfeit to Kip Academy after three girls were injured competing against Kip Academy and their transgender player. The post-millennial originally reported this. It's just amazing. And here it is. Check out this video. Oh, my goodness. Beware. And there's the guy. There's the guy. He's like six feet tall. Unbelievable. It's just so crazy. Absolutely, absolutely nuts. The young woman can be seen lying on the ground, gripping her back in pain. The post-millennial points out that according to the Massachusetts, this is in Massachusetts, Interscholastic Athlete Association's handbook, a student shall not be excluded from participation on a gender-specific sports team that is consistent with the student's bona fide gender identity. 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 Oh, my goodness. All right. Now, more craziness. Here we go. This one. California proposes banning single-use cups at chain restaurants. Again, talk about a takings. Here we go. Just a quick one for you here. Kenneth Shrupp reports this for the Center Square. California proposed banning single-use cups. This is from a state legislature. Legislator, she's a senator named Catherine Blakespear, a Democrat from Encinitas. It's SB 1167. If you live in California, you might want to call to try to stop this. Now, where they get the gall to say that you can only use these types of cups, I don't know. But here it is under SB 1167, introduced by Catherine Blakespear, Democrat of Encinitas, Is that like Shakespeare? It's a tragic comedy? I don't know. Chain restaurants would be required to provide dine-in customers with, get this, reusable drinking vessels that are a durable cup, mug, or glass containing hot or cold liquids that is cleaned and reused by the food service facility. Now, look, the practical consequences of this are very clear. First of all, you have hygiene problems inside the restaurants. There's a liability increase for them. Now they're going to have different insurance policies, uh, insurance rates. There's the whole expense of it, which they eliminated years ago by introducing these throwaway things. Now they want to increase the expenses. If, 
Kath, that's just the practical. The moral side of it is this. If Catherine Blakespear thinks that it's so good to play act as a controller of other people, why doesn't she leave them alone and introduce her own restaurant as a competitor? It's ridiculous. And, of course, they write here at the Center Square, after California banned thin, single-use plastic retail bags, retailers started selling thicker bags to consumers, selling them for 10 cents. These bags were rarely reused and typically thrown away, leading grocery and retail plastic waste in the state to rise from 8 pounds per person in 2004 to 11 pounds per person in 2021. To fix this, state lawmakers have now proposed banning all plastic retail bags and requiring that retail bags be made from 100% recycled paper. That's going to be awesome. And in 2018, another reason to get out of California. (laughs) Who would want to start a business there? In 2018, the state banned plastic plastic single-use straws at bars, and restaurants except when requested by the customer. In 2022, California adopted a new law requiring all packaging to be recyclable or compostable. Plastic packaging content to be reduced by 25% and 65% of all single-use plastic packaging to be made of recycled plastic all by 2032. (laughs) I think I know what I would rather see in the dumpster, the state because it always attracts and seduces people to do these kinds of things. Here's the final bit in our news flash. Ken Paxton sues to revoke an El Paso nonprofit's state registration after it didn't immediately hand over client records. Now, this actually opens things up to a much larger issue that if we were in a classroom or something like that, I'd love to get one of you up to the board to offer your thoughts on this, because this actually has a lot to do with privacy. A lot of people think it has to do with, oh, this group, this Catholic group was bringing in migrants and Texas is being flooded by the migrants. It brings in the battle between the feds and Texas, whether or not that's something that uh, we can trust Governor Abbott. I don't know. Uh, But uh, it is a big, big hot button issue. So a lot of people might say, oh, yeah, they're hiding migrants. Well, when it comes to freedom, when it comes to the Constitution, it should be up to Texas. But when it comes to freedom on a deeper level, how about this? Here's the story. A Catholic nonprofit that operates several shelters in El Paso sued the Office of Attorney General in Texas earlier this month to delay the release of records after the state agency, blow that up a little bit for you, after the state agency demanded the immediate release of extensive documentation about the immigrant clients that it serves along the border. On the border. The Consumer Protection Division of the Attorney General's Office of Texas launched an investigation into an uh, Annunciation House, and they did this on February 7th. They were demanding the release of documents within one day. The small nonprofit requested an extension to review what information the organization was legally required to turn over. Well, how about they shouldn't be morally or legally required to turn over anything? 
If they're pointing government guns at you, that's wrong. Period. The state denied the extension, so the Catholic nonprofit sued the state, requesting a court rule on which documents the group must hand over to the Attorney General. Additionally, to buy time, Annunciation House also requested a restraining order against the Attorney General to grant the Catholic organization relief from the state's immediate demands. But to whom are you appealing to get the restraining order? Oh, that's right. The polis. You can't restrain the polis. They decide for themselves, and they've decided. In turn, Attorney General Ken Paxton announced his office was suing the organization for failing to comply with the demand and suggesting the religious nonprofit was a nonprofit. He suggested they were engaging in worsening illegal immigration so what will it be like in the future where else will they invade privacy we'll return with more liberty conspiracy on free talk live if you're concerned about the power grid and want to generate your own supply of off-grid electricity this will be the most important message you'll hear this year here's why we now have a small number of solar generators back in stock these emergency backup systems provide life-saving backup power when you need it most And unlike gas generators, solar generators run quietly, emit no dangerous fumes, and produce an endless supply of free electricity from the sun. Whether it's wildfires, dangerous weather, power grid issues, or just getting off the grid, you'll never have to suffer through painful power outages again. Even better, all this week, radio listeners get over $700 in free off-the-grid bonuses, too. Go to MySolarBackup.com to learn more and check availability. That's MySolarBackup.com. Look for the free report, Crisis Cooling, how to make absolutely sure your meat, milk, and medicines stay safe and cool in any power outage. Yours free at MySolarBackup.com. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. I started fighting the IRS over 40 years ago when they tried to seize my mother's house. I sued the IRS and won. I beat the IRS then, and I've been beating them ever since. I wrote the book on tax debt settlement, and I've helped thousands of people deal with tax problems they thought might never be solved. I can help you too. If you owe taxes you can't pay, don't wait another day. There's no such thing as a hopeless tax case. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, danpilla.com. That's danpilla.com, danpilla.com. You've seen crazy diets to lose weight. At GCN Team, our healthy body weight loss system simply neutrifies the body, bringing down cravings. It has been proven that nutritional deficiencies drive appetite for carbs, sugars, and fats. Lose weight the easy way. Find us at GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Fighting cravings is a fool's game. Give the body what it needs to be satisfied. Again, 877-878-4203. That's 877-878-4203. 